Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. I want to minister today on the thought altars. And I've been in much prayer on Wednesday nights. We've been ministering along the lines of milk, not meat. How many of you have been with us on these series we've been, we've been trekking through? And it is what I would call messages that are not for the faint of heart. It is because the Bible says strong meat belongeth to them who are of full age. That means when you are maturing in the Lord and you reach a place in your life that you're able to handle strong meat. Um, I, I like to joke and say that when you get to that point, you get up in the morning and you eat raw meat and gunpowder for breakfast. Now, don't please anybody go try to eat that and do that. Well, pastor said... Well, I was, that's just a metaphor. That's just me trying to give you an illustration that you are strong. But we've been digging into the word and digging into the scriptures, and God has been with us. But in this past week or two, I've been studying in different ways, not only in my devotion time, and this week in particular concerning the altar. And I remember a few years ago ministering on this thought of the altar, one of the messages I think I shared was being altered by the altar and how that God transforms us at the altar. You don't change the altar, the altar alters you. It changes you. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, I want to give you an opportunity to turn there and we are going to read several verses out of this passage just to lay groundwork and I will do my best to deliver this message as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But I have a heart for America today and a heart for our country and a heart for our church and for your family. But I want to read this particular passage in, in opening up this message today in 1 Kings 18 verse 14. And the Bible says, Now thou sayest, Go, tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And he shall slay me. Now before we move on into the next verse, I want you to understand that Elijah has come with a message to the king. And he is using the messenger of the king to deliver the message. Sometimes you have to do things on another level. Sometimes you don't have direct access, but God opens a launch or an entry pad an entryway into a realm for you to speak. And Elijah sends word to Ahab the king that his days are numbered. But the Bible says that he speaks to this man and he says, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. And so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. He did not have audience until he got the message. Once Ahab got the message, he wanted then to meet with the prophet. And then he comes to meet with Elijah. And it came to pass, verse 17, that when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Are thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. 
in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, and then notice this question, how long halt ye between two opinions? I would like to say I almost feel like that is a prophetic word for this season in America. How long halt you between two opinions? And let the mature church say amen. amen. He said, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. And then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood. And put no fire under. I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call you on the name of your gods. Notice that it's a small g, which means not the true and living God. He said, call on the name of your gods, plural. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. You have to remember they had no response when he asked them, how long will you be halt between two opinions? They held their tongue. And then when he begins to declare, let the God who answers by fire, let him be God, then he respond, the people respond and say, it is well spoken. The Bible says in verse 25, And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourself and dress it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. I've been to that church. <laughs> and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry louder, for he is a God. Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he is on a journey or peradventure he's sleeping and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner with knives and lances, till the blood gushed out upon them. I've been to that church too. And it came to pass when midday was passed, and they prophesied unto the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, morning, noon, and evening, that there was neither a voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. 
This morning, if God help me, I will minister on the thought altars. Holy Ghost, we need you today. Speak to every home represented here, every individual, every person who has a personal experience with you. Give us relationship, not religion. Speak to us in the innermost part of our heart. Not because someone nudged us or said, pastor's preaching to you, but because, Lord, you spoke to us and you said something that spoke rivers to our soul. And God will thank you for it. And the church will say amen. I want you to notice in this particular passage that Ahab, the king of Israel, meets Elijah with these words. Are thou he that troubleth Israel? And I thought it was interesting that Ahab could smell a troublemaker. He perceived that Elijah the prophet was a troublemaker because Elijah didn't put up with no junk. And because God had sent Elijah to call the king out and tell him your days are numbered and things are about to shift in God's direction. And the Bible said that he became to a place of agitation with him that he had to ask the prophet, are you the one that's stirring up all this trouble? Maybe you're here today and you're the person in your family that always is stirring up trouble. Maybe you're the person that asks the hard questions. Some folks won't even talk to you anymore because they know where you stand in your opinion. And maybe their thought is, are you the one that is stirring up Israel? And I looked at the word trouble here and I began to bring definition to that when you say to bring trouble, it means to stir up or to disturb or to agitate. Notice on the screen, it's to afflict or with pain or discomfort. It's to cause a mental agitation or stress that when there is trouble coming, when there is an agitation, he's speaking here of trouble. And nobody really likes, I think, to have to have trouble around them or to be agitated or to be stirred up. But that's what the definition of trouble means, to stir up, to disturb, to agitate, to afflict. And this shows how far that Israel had fallen from God's divine presence and God's calling upon their life because this king who was supposed to lift up a standard this king who was supposed to lead Israel into their divine destiny and their relationship with God, he was so backslidden that the very presence of Elijah and his commitment to God and his consecration to God disturbed him. He agitated him. He caused Ahab such distress that he called Elijah and said, you're the one that troubleth Israel. I would to God that we had a room full of people and a church house full of people who are so full of the Holy Ghost and so consecrated to God that we cause the demons in people to get stirred up. That we cause people who are off in their spirit who are living in a life of sin don't hate me here but our, uh, but with the, our very presence not because we're against anybody but the very presence of God would cause an, uh, 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 an agitation to something that is off in our spirit. I, I 
I don't know if you feel the same way, but I want to be around people who press me to do more and push me to do more and make me want to do more. And so this king who was so backslidden, who wasn't leading the people of God towards God, got irritated at this brother, got irritated at Elijah and didn't want to be around him and begin to call him out and call him names and refer to him as a troublemaker. Oh, I wish I had time to preach in there, but we all know this, that when you get serious about God and you begin to consecrate yourself to live a holy, sanctified, separated life unto the Lord, you will be viewed as a troublemaker. You will be viewed as somebody, you just think you're holy. You just think you're all that. When did you become so holy? Oh, it's because most people are satisfied to live around the altar instead of living on the altar. I can't get nobody to amen me right there, but I mean satisfied with religious looks and satisfied with doing things that look the part and sound the part. But when you have chosen to live on the altar, you're what Paul says, a living sacrifice. You put yourself on the altar, a living sacrifice, and when you become a living sacrifice, you upset the world system. You upset and you disturb religious people. Romans 12, Paul says it very real. Be a living sacrifice. So Elijah comes and he calls the nation of Israel back to the altar. Elijah, hear me, is not necessarily known through the scriptures as a great preacher. But when the Bible shines the spotlight on Elijah, we see him on the ground with his head between his knees and he's praying. He shows us what an altar looks like. The great need of the hour today is that men and women will build an altar and repair the altar that have been broken down in our homes. When I talk about the altar, I'm not talking about just a place around the front or a wooden piece of furniture because as far as a piece of furniture is concerned, it does not matter if it's maple, if it's pine, if it's walnut. The focus is, uh, it doesn't matter what it's covered with. If it's got fabric on it, it doesn't matter if it's six feet long or 12 feet wide or divided in sections. When it's all said and done, it is for all intents purposes just a piece of furniture. It is just a piece of wood. It can't save anybody. It can't heal anybody. It can't deliver anybody. It can't pick you up when you fall down. It can't carry you when you're too weak to carry yourself. It cannot mend a broken heart. It cannot save a shipwrecked marriage. It cannot break the power of drugs over your life or drive cancer out of your body. It is just a wooden piece of furniture separated and set aside, yes, for the sacred purpose of God, but it is still just a piece of furniture. Oh, hear me. The altar that I'm talking about this morning is the altar in your heart. I'm talking about building an altar in your heart that is humbled down before God, that is surrendered to God, consecrated to God, faithful and obedient 
obedient to God. The altar that I'm speaking about in this life is laid down in sacrifice to the will of God. I got to climb upon the altar and present myself a living sacrifice holy unto you. Lord, have me, take me, use me, have every part of me. I'm a living sacrifice on this altar. I said this in my spirit this morning that when there is no altar, the church will falter. Faltering means that you begin to move hesitantly as if you're about to give away. Listen to me. To falter is to be unsure or weak, to walk unsteadily. When you begin to falter, you start stumbling. When you begin to falter, you lose faith. You lose faith in everything your mama taught you. Everything your daddy taught you. You start faltering, you'll lose faith in everything the church taught you into Sunday school. You, when you begin to falter, you'll start pulling away and you'll begin to run after your own dreams and imaginations and your own thoughts and opinions and you'll set them as precedence over thus saith the word of God. When you begin to falter, then things begin to change in your life and this is the message of the hour that I've come to preach on this Sunday morning that the church is faltering because she has forsaken the altar of the heart that we have forsaken a place where we are consecrated unto God help me Holy Ghost the prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 2 for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns broken cisterns that can hold no water. Can I ask you a question? What good is it if you have a new house, if you have a new car, if you have a great retirement, if you've got all the money that you need and five different bank accounts and you are cold in your soul and have no love relationship with Jesus Christ? The greatest need of the hour is not natural. It's not physical. It's not prosperity, but it is soul prosperity. How do you you know because the Bible said in Mark chapter 8 verse 36 for what does it profit a man if he would gain the whole world but he would lose his own soul I believe God wants you to prosper look at your neighbor and say God wants you to be blessed God wants us to prosper in every way even financially but the danger is when we substitute natural prosperity for soul prosperity do you remember what John said in 36 John 2, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prosper. Do you know what the determining factor is? The determining factor is it's as your soul does prosper. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to read to you what David said in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 106, he said, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them the request of their soul. He gave them leanness to their soul. The Bible said that the children of Israel, hear me America, that the children of Israel lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And the Bible said that God gave them their request, but he sent them leanness to their soul. God can give you the things and let you have things that are not necessarily his perfect will. And in the process of you getting it, you get leanness to your soul. Things just don't feel the same. You got that boyfriend you want, but 
but you don't feel the same thing about God. You got that girlfriend you lusted after, but now you don't have the same passion for the things of God. You got that new job, you got all of the fringe benefits, you got everything that you could have that would make other people jealous and gain you more followers on the gram, but you are lean in your soul and have no victory. The Bible talks about leanness to the soul. He said, I give you what you want, but now you have leanness to your soul. You don't have the same passion. You don't have the same fire anymore. You're not excited anymore. There's leanness to your soul. Leanness means to be thin, emaciated, weak, or sickly. That means that they were physically, naturally satisfied, fat and happy, if you will, but their souls were starving to death. And I pastor people like this. Don't get mad at me. I don't know anybody's business here. But what the Holy Spirit reveals to me in prayer, that I'm pastoring people who are happy and fat in the natural, but they're lean and starving to death in their soul. And this is happening in a modern American churches all across our land. And I speak to pastors from across our country. And I minister to them and they minister to me. But we are getting fatter and fatter and more filled with the natural. We are being full filled with the carnal, the physical things, but our souls, uh, the spirit part of us is starving to death. Uh, We're malnutritioned and many of our churches today do not have altar time anymore. There's no prayer. There's no response. There's no laying on of hands. Uh, There's just see you next week. Uh, And the ones that do have an altar, physical altar are most covered up with dust uh, because they're hardly ever used. Uh, They're just for looks. Uh, Let me tell you today, I know the altar is just a piece of furniture made up of a few pieces of wood but it is still a place that is sacred to God it is still a place for the people of God to come and find a time to kneel in his presence and say God I'm physically here but inside my heart I'm already here I'm laying myself on this altar and for you to speak to me a new word for you to help me in the direction of my life I can't even make a decision unless you speak to me on this altar. I can't even marry that person unless you speak to me on this altar. I can't even take that job unless you speak to me on this altar. I come to tell you that the altar is the meeting place with God. It's a place where heaven comes down and floods your soul. It's where you climb your Mount Moriah and you give your Isaac up to God. It's a place of sacrifice to death. It's a place where we wrestle to God for a changed life. It's a place where Jacob the deceiver, the liar, the usurper, the supplanter who became the prince and the power of Israel because God changed him at an altar. I wish I had 20 people that would thank God today for an altar that has the power to change your life. It's a place where the sinner finds a savior, where the broken find a healer, where the bound find a deliverer, where the burden find relief, where the prisoner finds a pardon, where the weary find rest, and where the saint finds power. Come on, Pentecostal church. Declare that you have power because you've been to an altar. Why are we in such a low state of spiritual power in the church today because the church has forsaken the altar. Churches have great programs, great singing, great teaching, talent, preaching, worship, 
But if you as an individual and your church doesn't have an altar and you don't have an altar personally, you will falter. It will be unsteady. It will be unsure. It'll be weak. It'll be, it will cause you to stumble and ultimately lose faith and abandon the cause of Christ. God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Not a house of dramas and plays. Not a house of hip hop. Not a house of what? Only half of you will catch that. We are not a nasty people. Not a house just to have great fellowship and dinners. Not a house of great singers and musicians. But a house of prayer. We know the physical health of a person by their temperature. We know the spiritual health of a person or a church by its spiritual temperature. And you know the spiritual temperature by the commitment to prayer. No prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. When I was growing up in one of the greatest ministries in the church was the altar workers. The altar workers would pray and they would gather around and pray for folk. These were people who had an altar in their own life. And they knew what God could do in our heart when we laid our life down at an altar for prayer. And they would come alongside of us and they would labor with us in prayer until we had a spiritual breakthrough. My God, I miss it. We get a breakthrough. Some would get a breakthrough to salvation. Some would get a breakthrough through healing. Some would get a breakthrough for the Holy Ghost and deliverance in their life. And God give us altar workers again. Not just people who catch people, but God give us an altar worker. A person that knows what it's like to have an altar in their life. My God. Not just someone who covers us up when we fall down, but men and women who are not ashamed of their tears. Men and women who are not ashamed to cry out to God are not worried about their clothes getting wrinkled or makeup running down their, their face or getting their hair messed up. Men and women who say, God, I just want to pray and pray some more. We don't find many altar workers in the church today because now everybody seems to just want a position and a name tag and compensation and their own parking spot. We live in a selfish time in the church. Oh, I wish I could preach today. It's all about me. It's all about my blessing. Every man for himself. But Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Can I tell you, we don't need people just to catch one another. We need altar workers. Every one of us in this house are an altar worker. We have laid our life down on an altar and know the value and the communion with God. And we're able to help other people find their way through. Elijah took 12 stones, which represented the 12 tribes, and he rebuilt the altar. He knew that if he could bring Israel back to an altar, and the altar back to Israel, that he could bring Israel back to God. But they had to build an altar. And I want you to know that the only hope for America today is to come back to an altar. 
There's no president, no politician, no legislation that has the power to turn this country around. The only hope for America is God. God back in our home. God back in the schoolhouse. God back in the White House. God back in the church house. And as much as we can get America back to the altar, we can get America back to God. Is there any praying people here today? Is there anybody that says, I don't live by personality. I live by policy. I live by principle. Thus saith the word of God. I gotta find myself a place to pray. If you don't pray, if you don't get in touch with God, You'll listen to everybody else. 850 prophets of Baal will influence you. And you will post on social media in the morning and at noon and at night and you will leap up on this and leap up on that and cut yourself but still no fire. In Malachi 3 and 7, the prophet said, Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. The greatest structure that we can build in America is not another trade center in New York, but in every city and in every church and in every home, a structure called the altar. It was never torn down when the terrorists attacked our nation (laughs) because there is no terrorist that can destroy my altar. It can only be torn down through neglect, torn down through decay, torn down through rejection in favor of a more comfortable and a less painful and a humiliating death before the Lord. Oh, can I tell you today, only humble people can pray. Only weak people can pray. Only poor people can pray. Only helpless people can pray. Only needy people can pray. Only people who are willing to admit their need and their help can pray. The greatest sin in America is not just abortion and homosexuality, but the greatest sin of America is pride and self-sufficiency. It's not our national pride that we need in America today. It's a national humility and total dependence upon God. The prophet said in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face before you go to the pole and turn from their wicked way. I added that because I guess it's revelatory right now. But then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I'm not looking to Washington to help me. I'm not looking for a politician to help me. I'm not trying to convince you. You aren't gonna convince me. I just need an altar. 
I just need a place to seek God. I just got to get on my face and talk to God for what's going on with the people that I love and I pastor. I know there's some wicked and evil things that are happening in this world today. There are gross and horrible things and evil things that are happening in the world and the world is a very dark place, a dangerous place, but God is not speaking to the world. Listen to me. Wickedness and evil and darkness are in this world. A sinner's sins by the nature they're born into, but God is speaking to a church today. He's speaking to Bethel Family Worship Center today and every church that names the name of Jesus, those who identify themselves, who go after his name, who run after the name of Jesus. God said, if my people, the people that know me, the people that identify with me, the people that are mine, the people that belong to me, if my people will humble and pray and repent, God said, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Revival doesn't come until we rend our heart and ask God, break me open again. Not just my garment, but break up the follow ground of my heart until you rain righteousness down from heaven upon me, Lord. This type of preaching, yelling and hollering, sweating and spitting, is foolish to people, but God said it is the foolishness of preaching that wins people to God. So I'm careful. You know, I'm not a person that always speaks real soft and quaint and quiet. Sometimes I spit and baptize the whole front row when I'm preaching. They have to wear three masks. I'm coming for them. I'm teasing. But my heart is so heavy. Say this with me. Elijah rebuilt the altar. Now, he used 12 stones that they were whole stones. They weren't cut stones. He lifted the whole stones because had he cut them, they would have the hands of man pollute them. They were whole stones. Whew, I don't have time to preach on that. He took whole stones. In Exodus 20 and 25, if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, Thou hast polluted it. Oh, I wish I could preach about our ministries. We come to God. We've already cut and hewn out and deciphered and told God what we're going to do. God said, if you put your tool on it, you pollute it. It will not work. A whole stone. Not, well, this is how I interpret the scripture. Honey, your opinion doesn't matter. It's what thus saith the word of God. And I know that's plain. Whole stone. Tell your neighbor a whole stone. It speaks of self-effort when you take a tool and try to dissect what God's trying to say. It's an activity of the flesh. And the Bible said that no flesh, no talent, no skill, no ability would ever get glory in his presence and would never be a substitute for the anointing in your life. In Exodus 30 and verse 32, he said, Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, when he's speaking about the oil, he said, neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy. It is shall be unto the Lord. 
And God sent me here this morning to speak a word to this house to tell you this, that God doesn't want the fragments of your life. He wants the whole things. He don't want the fragments. The Elisha said, I will dress the other bullock. I will present as God has required. And it was contrary to popular opinion. Listen to me. God will not accept an old sacrifice or an old offering. God wants something fresh. God wants something from your life today. He doesn't want something stale that you have under the counter with still has rust on the lid. God wants something fresh now. That's why Paul said to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord for it is my reasonable service. Malachi said you shall make the table the altar of the Lord contemptible if you offer a blind or lame or sick to me. So I can't bring to God anything blind, lame, or sick. In other words, I can't bring to God something left over. I can't say, well, if I ever get around to it, I can't say, God, you can have this, but you can't have that. God said, no, I want that too. I want all of it. I want the wholeness of your life. I feel like preaching today to a church that I may, I may draw my last breath today, but you will hear me preach about this altar today. I want you to know God wants the wholeness of our life, not the fragments only. Elijah called for an investment from the people. And if you were to read on into 1 Kings chapter 18 before I take my seat today, the Bible said that he asked them to give him 12 barrels of water. And when there hadn't been a drop of water from the sky for three and a half years, Elijah said, bring me 12 barrels of water. He rebuilt the altar, put the bullock on the altar, and then he said, give me what you don't have. That's the sacrifice God's looking for, what you don't have enough of. That's where your faith kicks in, where God said, give me your time. But God, you know I got time. I got to get my kids over here. I got my wife to take care of. I got my kids and my children. I got my house to look after. Don't even talk to me about my truck and my vehicles. Don't even talk to me about my yard. It's all dried up to the root. What am I going to do before fall? I got to get these leaves raked up. God said, no, put me first and I'll give you time you didn't know you had. Put me first and I'll give you more than you can think. I won't send leanness to your soul. I'll make you fat in your spirit you'll live in glory you'll live in victory and you won't always be mumbling under your breath because you don't like this and you don't like that he said give me what we don't have and they brought him 12 barrels of water which is what they didn't have because they were in a drought if you don't ever make an investment in anything you don't care about it pursuit is the proof of your desire if you really want something, you'll spend time in pursuit of it and you know the importance of a thing by the time you're willing to give to it. How much time do we give to really seeking God? How much time do you spend on your face compared to how much time you spend on Facebook? We live in a technology information age. We're connected to everything and everyone except the one who matters the most. So many people like that. Like, I mean, feel like they would die if they lost their phone. They were in the bed like a cat jumping around looking for their phone because they, they slept on it. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Honey, it's under your toe. <laughs> we act like we'd lose our life if we lost our phone, but we'll go for days and weeks and never talk to our Creator. The 12 barrels of water in time of drought and famine was a tremendous sacrifice for them to offer. And at this point, listen to this. If we really want to experience a move of God, it's going to cost us something. I'm speaking to Bethel Family Worship Center in the year of 2020. 
And I'm speaking to this church and I'm speaking to America. If you really want something from God, it's going to cost you something. None of this patty cake, wishy-washy, last minute if I get time. If you want something from God for your family, it's going to cost you something. And not something that will bring leanness to your soul. There'll never be fire from heaven until there's first an investment of water. Water in the time of famine, 12 barrels of it during a drought. It seems today that the church is in a spiritual drought, the drought of dry eyes, where we no longer are moved to tears by the sin and the iniquity that is around us. In America, we don't see many tears on the altar anymore. It's still true. The fire falls when the wood is wet. The fire falls when the wood is wet. When I am broken before God and I let him speak to me and I repent of my sin and I ask God to forgive me and I'm full of contrition and I change because I don't just want relief but I want him. I want to have a relationship with my creator. In America, we've got to cry out to God again. If my people, which are called by my name, will cry out to me, will pray, will seek me, he said, I will feel them. I will heal them land. The Bible said that Elijah had them dig a trench around the altar that he had built. If we're going to see the power of God manifested, there's got to be more work around your altar. You've got to work around your altar. You've got to keep on digging a trench for your children, digging a trench for your family, digging a trench for those that are to come. I don't want there to be a dryness when my children reach an age where they have an opportunity to experience the fullness and the power of God. I want them to be around the Holy Ghost filled church. People who are on fire fire for God. People who have the love of God and the fire of the Lord and a consecrated testimony. Don't come to pray for me in my hospital room. If you're a fly by night, easy come, easy go person. But if you're a person that has stood the test of time, has gone through ridicule, has gone through betrayal, has gone through all kinds of torment, has had to fight your way out of every situation, bring me somebody that has enough tenacity to say I am one of them. I am a child of God. I don't care what the world's doing at Halloween. I don't care what the rest of the world's doing. I'm going to do what God said. I'm going to search the scripture and live a life that's consecrated and holy unto the Lord. I lost three-fourths of you when I mentioned Halloween. But digging a trench is not popular. Prayer is hard work. It's hard on your flesh. Hard on your pride. Hard on your carnal mind. Instead of praying, we run and call 10 people. What do you think I should do? I had this dream. Honey, you need to take some Rolaids and go back to bed. (laughs) He trenched around the altar. He was connected to God. Results come when you change your life. He saturated the wood with water, which represented what they did not have enough of. 
when you saturate the wood with the tears of your prayers, the fire will come. Acts 6 and 4 said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In my prayer time the other day, this is what the Lord spoke to me. When these New Testament believers said, when before they were making selections for deacons and leaders in the church, they said, you all do this because we're going to give ourselves over to continually pray and the ministry of the word. You don't need a pastor who is at every birthday party with you. Hear me? I love you. I love you so much. I want to be at all your special occasions. But where you really need me is in prayer. You need me hiding in a closet in prayer where my spirit is not co-mixed with the world. That's where you need me to hear a word from heaven so that I may stand before you and say, thus saith the word of God. I love you. I want the best for you. But you don't need your pastor to be your best friend. You need your pastor to be somewhere between a porch and an altar crying out to God. God, help our people, Lord. God wants to do a deep work in your life. But he's asking you to dig a trench around your altar today. He wants to fill it. He wants to consume it. But he needs you to do that. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for my wife or my children. They have to do it for themselves too. I got to do it for me. You can't missionary date. Say, well, I'm going to date this person. They're not a Christian yet, but I'm going to get them saved. No, that don't work that way. Tell your neighbor, say, playa, it don't work that way. It don't work that way, playa. <laughs> Come on. It don't work that way. <laughs> you got to dig a trench. And the Bible said they covered the altar and the sacrifice. They filled the trench with water roundabout. The deep work began to happen. The soaking, the saturation begin to happen. When you stay in a place long enough, do you get saturated so people can't talk you out of what you believe? You can't go off to college and your professors twist you to believe something that you had embedded in you? Not today, devil. I gotta let this soak into my life. After Elijah had done all he could do from the earth side, he called on God. There will come a point you will do all you can do on the earth side. That's when you call on God. Not just any God, but Elijah said, let it be the God who answers by fire. And the Bible said that heaven bent low to hear the voice of an old prophet. And suddenly the fire of God fell from heaven on an altar that he had built. Fire consumes your sacrifice. I'm speaking to someone right now. You're tired. You're weary. You feel like giving up. You say, I've done this for too long. I'm done. God told me today, use fire will consume your sacrifice. 
He not only consumed the sacrifice, but as you read on in that passage, the Bible said that the fire of God even licked up the water and the dust. God always is a God of divine order. He will lick up the sacrifice, the water, and the dust. I wish I could preach on those three. He is a God of order. Let the God who answers by fire, let him be God. And my prayer is that God would fall today on a praying church. Would you bow your head for a moment? God fall on a praying church. My prayer for the local church and the American church, send your fire, God. I want to tell you this morning as you're in a mode of prayer, just right with you and yourself and maybe your spouse or whoever's close there with you. The most beautiful sound I have ever heard in a church is not the sound of a great preacher or a great singer or great singing. The most beautiful sound I've ever heard in a church is the sound of praying people. There's something beautiful when the church falls on their knees. In our weakness, we're clothed in majesty and in strength and power. When the church is Elijah, bows her head between her knees, and begins to pray and travail, something begins to happen in the spirit realm. Hell goes on high alert. Demons go to shaking. Chains begin to break and yokes are destroyed. Those that are captive are delivered and set free and sons and daughters are birthed into the kingdom of God. And the devil is trying everything he can to keep you off your knees to keep you off of your prayer life, to keep you from repairing the altar and digging the trench in your home. And I would say to you that God wants to pour his spirit out upon your house. He wants to pour his spirit out upon your house. And I wonder as I'm closing today and you're praying, is there anyone here today that knows America needs a move of God? Is there anyone who would be honest enough to admit that our churches in America need a move of God? And is there anyone that would admit today that your family and your home needs a move of God? God wants us to pray. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me. I need to get back to the altar. I need to repent of some things. I want to get sin out of my life, compromise out of my life, leanness of soul out of my life. I got all these other things. I got all these gadgets and gadgets and everything's popping, but I'm lean in my soul. I need to rebuild the altar for my family, my children, my grandbabies. They need a daddy and a papa who's more than just name, 
a papa, a daddy, a pastor who knows how to build an altar and call the family into the altar. Hey, y'all, bring the water. Bring the water. We're digging a trench. We're going through some hard times right now. But we're going to dig a trench with our tears and we're going to believe God. America's going through a hard time right now. But we're going to dig a trench, Bethel Family Worship Center. And we're going to fill it with our tears. <laughs> we're going to ask God to forgive us. Forgive me of my backsliding. Forgive me of compromise. Forgive me of having this outlandish opinion and believe, blowing everyone up with it. Lord, help me, God, to fall afresh on the altar. I don't want my will. I want your will. My God, I can't have my way. I need your way. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what the church world's going to look like. But I know he is still the God who answers by fire. And I got to dig a trench. I need to dig, dig a trench. I don't care if you're here today. If you don't care if your makeup runs, your hair gets messed up, your clothes get wrinkled. I need somebody who's not ashamed to begin to pray right now. Somebody begin to groan in the spirit. Somebody begin to let the spirit make intercession through you. I need some people in, there, in this place who refuse to let the spirit of this world take over your children, over your church. I need some people who refuse to let drugs and alcohol destroy their life. I need some people who say, God, you can have all of me. I need the fire of God. I need people who will intercede for their children and their grandchildren for your church, your city, your state, your country, your world. And cry out to God, if that's you, begin to lift your voice all over this house. Do not be afraid of who's around you. Do not be concerned who hears you, but cry out to God. Cry out to God out of your own mouth, out of your own lips. Dig a trench with your prayer. I'm not up here telling you what to do. I'm not up here bossing you. I'm not up here telling you what persuasion to have. I'm up here telling you, if, it, if, it's, if all I can tell you is to build an altar, then I'm telling you, build an altar. Build an altar. Build an altar. Build an altar before you build a ministry. Build an altar before you build a family. Build an altar before you build a career. <laughs> Build an altar. I would rather have my family in a place where the altar is fresh than to run after this desire and run after this, this dangling carrot. I want to build an altar for the Lord. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost me to build this altar. I hear Holy Ghost speaking to us. This altar is open for anybody that feels the draw to pray. <laughs> oh, the blood of Jesus cover your people right now. Cry out to him and he will hear you. He will hear you and he will answer. If you want to pray, come and pray. If you want to kneel at your seat, kneel at your seat. But I need somebody to build an altar to God. <laughs> I sense the work of God in this place. The work of the Lord is in this house. The work of God is in this place. The work of God is in this place. The work of God is in this place.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center.